You know, shopping these days is interesting. I'm in Academy uh, trying to get some uh, overpriced Nikes and uh, I'm, I'm got this sales clerk and she's trying to put me in, a, in, in 11s and I'm an 11 and a half. And so I, I try them on. She's like, oh no, you'll be fine. So I try these on and I say, it's too tight. And she said, try it with the tongue out. And I said, it's still too tight, it's still too tight. <laughs> oh, that's terrible, right, right, yeah. Can't resist a bad joke. Go ahead and boo. Go ahead and boo. I know a couple of you booed. Yeah, that's all right. It's okay. I can handle it. So I don't know uh, if you're on social media, but if you're on social media, you know that sneakers and uh, the, the, the market for athletic shoes is just crazy. Last year alone, $62.8 billion was spent on shoes. And of course, the most fashionable ones are designed by people like Selena Gomez and Led Zeppelin and Serena Williams. And they're notable figures that helped inspire high-end sneakers to get you spend all that money on workout shoes. But maybe you didn't hear this. In 2019, they came out with the shoes that were designed by the greatest celebrity of all, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I'm not making this up. You heard me right. Last year, a pair of designers created a whole different kind of fashion statement when they brought out the Nike Air Max 97s and redesigned them and called them Jesus shoes. The Jesus shoes actually come with a little, I got a picture there, a little golden crucifix hanging from the laces and pockets. And of course, of course, what do you got to have if you got shoes? You've got to have holy water in the soles, right? And so they, they actually got water from the Jordan River that's been prayed over by a priest. And designers claim these shoes are sort of mocking the idea of partnering with celebrities. And, and that's Daniel Greenberg is the one who came up with this hole behind the Jesus shoes. And they asked themselves, what would Jesus shoes let you do? I mean, would they make you jump higher? Well, of course. But if you really want to have Jesus shoes, what do you have to do? You have to be able to walk on Come on, church, I'm going to need a little more energy out of you, right? Walk on the water. the water. That's right. So the most expensive pair of shoes you can buy, you can actually, they've got holy water at the bottom there, the Air Max 97s. And uh, these are actually retailing today. They can be yours for the small sum of $3,000. Anyone want to go out and buy them? No, don't buy those shoes. Anyway, but now that we know how to walk on water, we just buy these Air Max 97s. We can close up. We're done for today. Uh, we'll beat the Baptist to lunch. I'll see you all later. No? <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, see you later. Uh, <laughs> well, we're talking about Peter walking on water, and he did not have Air Max 97s. He didn't spend three grand. Uh, and our text really is about, and most, it's interesting when you read scholars that talk about this text, they all talk about Peter sinking and Peter failing. But the reality is for, for a short distance, we don't know how long Peter walked on the water. How many of us can say that? It's pretty amazing. So remember this failure. I mean, people talk about Peter's failure, but failure is not fatal, right? Failure does not shape you the way you respond to failure shapes you. Somebody say amen. amen. Come on. The average entrepreneur in America, for every success they have, they have about 40 misses. Henry Ford is an example. Henry Ford, you know, uh, what kind of car did he design and make that's still on the road today? Anyone want to guess? Yeah, starts with an F and ends with a D, O-R-D, yeah. Anyway, pretty successful risk taker, but if you look at his story, it's encouraging to know that Henry Ford messed up right away. His very first car he designed, he forgot to put a reverse gear in it. Yeah. He also built it in a building that was not big enough to drive out of it. And so if you go to the Green Village, uh, you can see where he cut a hole in the wall to drive, to make the wall bigger to make the car go out of the building. Uh, 
Sometimes people of action happen on advances because they're willing to take risk. They're willing to try to walk on the water. Anyone here grow up listening to this thing? And my kids can't believe it, but we had this thing before we all had, you know, uh, our iPhones and, and all this, uh, you know, technology with the way we listen to music today. We used to listen to music on these things that started with an R. What is it, church? It's called a, a radio. And they had, some of you are like, I didn't set that up very well. What did y'all say? Record player. Well, yeah, that record player works too, but a radio. Remember radios? Yes. I'm 12 years old. I'm washing dishes in Fairfax, Virginia, because that's what I did. My mom made me wash the dishes. I'm washing dishes, and we have this little alarm clock radio that's playing in the kitchen. And for the first time ever, I hear this most amazing, beautiful male voice I've ever heard in my life, and he's singing Open Arms, and it was Steve Perry. And I stop washing dishes and go, who is that singing? That guy can sing. Radio. Remember radio? The designer of radio is a pretty interesting guy. His name is Marconi. And he proposed, when he first came up with radio, he said, I can send a radio signal all the way across the Atlantic Ocean. And people laughed at him. And the experts mocked him. And every scientist told him it wouldn't work. They told him, you'll never walk on water. He argued, hey, if it's only, it's only a matter of having a powerful enough, you know, transmitter and a sensitive enough receiver on the other side. The experts laughed at him. He invested anyway. And he tried anyway. And they assured him that, hey, wireless waves like light will travel in straight lines and it would... Uh, not follow the curvature of the earth, but stream off into space. And logically, that makes sense. But what the experts did not know, and, and Marconi did not know, is that there's an electrically charged layer in the upper atmosphere called the ionosphere, which would bounce the radio waves back and in, that would have streamed off into space. And so by being wrong, by being willing to try, by we, being willing to take a risk... Somebody say, take a, risk. take a risk. By being willing to do that, he arrived at a conclusion that everybody said was going to be wrong. And of course, Marconi became the father of radio and radar, and he would create an industry that would dominate. Some people, <laughs> look, some people who never worry and, and never take a chance, never go anywhere. And they don't have to worry about stumbling. Some people who do fall, like Marconi, end up falling forward, okay? The person who never makes a mistake never makes anything else either. Hello? Is this microphone working today? Are you all alive? Somebody say, I'm alive. Come on. We got coffee and muffins. Come on, wake your butts up here today, all right? Holy butts, excuse me. So Peter gets a lot of flack for sinking, but at least he was willing to try. He was a man of action. Think about this. All the other disciples went to their grave and died, but Peter was the only one that could say, you know what? I walked on water. You didn't. So what is this lesson, this, this whole uh, scripture of Matthew 14, 22 to 33 teach us? I think it teaches us five things. First, the first thing you learn is you should do what God tells you to do in life. Now, this story is picked up. It's good to look at the context before what happens. It's, we pick up the story right after the miracle of feeding thousands, of 5,000. 
And the Bible says at the completion of that event, Jesus told the disciples, get into the boat. I want you to go ahead of me to the other side. The implication is Jesus is going to meet them on the other side, but they're to take the boat. The disciples do exactly what Jesus tells them to do. They're on their way to the other side, and the Bible says they're on their way to the other side. They're doing exactly what God told them to do. They're right where God wanted them to be, performing the very act that God wanted them to perform. And then the Bible says, and a storm arose. Too many of us, whenever we face difficulties, whenever we go through trials in life, we try to find out what caused the storm in my life. How many of you ever been through a difficult time and you're like, what did I do to make this storm happen to me? Okay. Lord, I don't know why I'm going through this. Let's see. Uh, no, I stopped doing that. I used to do this. I don't do that anymore. I don't see that person anymore, Lord. Lord, you forgave me for that, right? This is just me, not you, of course. We've been conditioned to associate difficulties with disobedience. We don't say it, but we live as if being a Christian gives us a detour around difficulties. We live, hey, I've accepted Jesus into my heart, and we keep looking for this verse in the Bible. You shall be exempt from all trials and tribulations in your life, heretofore and forevermore, from the book of you wish, chapter 7, verse 2. I've got a whole book of you wish. Anyone want to read it? Disobedience, of course, can put you in the storm, but this verse says you can do exactly what God wants you to do. You can be exactly where God wants you to be, and guess where you're going to find yourself in a storm. Verse 24, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. In the fourth watch of the night, that's about three in the morning, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. That's putting it lightly. Okay, troubled. And it's a ghost. And they cried out in what? Fear. But immediately Jesus said to them, be of good cheer. It is, what does he say there? It is I. And then the number one command in all of scripture, 366 times, Jesus tells them, do not be afraid. If you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. You got to take a leap of faith. It's funny, I was talking to my mentor this week. I have a spiritual mentor I talk to every week, my Yoda, if you will. I pray with him. I talk to him. And we were talking about risk-taking. And he said to me, when's the last time you took a leap of faith? And I, I couldn't really come up with one. And then he says, and I have to read this to you because it was such a great quote. He said, you know, John, I've, I've stopped expecting you to make leaps of faith, but it would be nice to see you hop every once in a while. <laughs> so don't be afraid of the storms, because sometimes God wants you in the storm. Sometimes God puts you in the storm. Sermon in a sentence. The storm you thought that was going to break you, God is going to use to make you. Don't you know Peter was changed after this experience? Somebody say yes. Somebody else say yes, because that was only one person. <laughs> Come on, friends. I'm pouring out some energy here today. I'm going to need a little help today. How many times have we looked back at stormy times in our life 
And in the middle of the storm, we couldn't feel God's presence. We couldn't see God's presence. But when we look back, we're like, you know what? God led me through that. God was there. I couldn't see it at the time. God strengthened me. God changed me. Hello? Can I get a witness? I know we're Presbyterian, but come on. (laughs) Principle two, second thing. Don't get so focused on the storm you lose sight of Jesus. You ever had a storm at work? Who here has ever had a storm at work? Yeah, yeah. So Renee has been going through a really difficult time. She's had to do a ton of extra work with this whole teaching online stuff. And she's been super stressed the last two weeks. I'm not kidding. She's really been stressed out. And so I've been trying to text her words of encouragement. Words of encouragement. You can imagine how well it's gone. <laughs> and so this, this past week, the kids started on Thursday. So on Monday, they have this big, big training and they're gonna Zoom from 8.30 to 11.30 and then they're gonna take a half hour break and then it's like 12.30 to 3.30. And so she's 45 minutes into her big training of Zoom. And so I say, I'm gonna text her. I'm at work. Hey, how's it going? Hope it's going good. Love, John. Just in case she has a boyfriend. She may not know who's texting her. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't know. She could have somebody else. So, so she's trying to learn how to teach third graders. And so I text her. How's it going? 45 minutes in the training. She's like, well, I can't say exactly what she said back to me because she wouldn't let me. But anyhow, she said, I'm 45 minutes into my training. And right now, our activity amongst the teachers is, get ready for this, pick your spirit animal. Really? Pick your spirit animal. So I said, oh my gosh, what is your spirit animal? I've been married to her a long time. I didn't know what her spirit animal was. She said, I'm not telling you. I said, come on, give me four choices and I'll pick. So these are the four choices she gave me. A giraffe, an eagle, a turtle, and a butterfly. So now I've called her a turtle a bunch. So she just did that to throw me off. So which one do you think it was, church? Which spirit animal do you think Renee is? Let's just go ahead and say she hates this part of the message. She wanted me to exclude it, but I'm going to go with it. What do you think? Butterfly. Butterfly. So then she texts back after we, we established it was a butterfly and she's fluttering around from flower to flower or whatever they do. And I said, what do you think my spirit animal is? She's... Someone in the church just said donkey. Now, now, there's so much I could say about that right now. I've been called a jackass before, yes. By the way, uh, that's a biblical word. Uh, Mary rode Joseph's ass all the way to Bethlehem, okay? There's a lot of ways to take that, okay? I'm just saying. Anyhow, so she she says, you're a gorilla. I'm a gorilla. Thanks, honey. So then I asked my office manager, hey, what do you think my spirit animal is? She said, squirrel. (laughs) Squirrel? Squirrel? 
I've never, so this, the whole spirit animal thing is taken off. So if you're online and you're watching and you're not too offended at the word ass, uh, go ahead and type in uh, what spirit animal you are. I'd love to read what spirit animal you think you are. So anyway, she's been going through a difficult time, a stormy time, but you know what? Uh, God has been with her. And the amazing thing is, is the kids have really responded because guess what? They, they like technology. So it's been an amazing week for her. So I'm excited about that. Don't ever get so caught up in the storm that you lose sight of Jesus. Many times God brings storms into our life in order to speak to us in such a way that we'll hear him when we don't hear him in the calm, right? Sometimes God brings a storm in our life to get our attention. When things are going well and things are going great in your life, God's got to call you and set up an appointment. You busy? Yeah, I'm busy, Lord. But when the storms are raging, you're like, no, I'm not eating. I'm just praying. No, I don't want any water. I got to pray. Why? Because the storm got your attention. Somebody say amen. Jesus says, be of good cheer. Be not afraid. Have a good attitude. I'm here. Don't be afraid. When Jesus says it is I, he gives the most comforting phrase that any Jewish believer could hear. Because that phrase, it is I, in the original language, literally means I am. I am that I am. It's the same phrase God used when he told Moses who you are, I am who I am. And the problem with the children of Israel was not a lack of understanding about what God could do. They had seen what God could do, part the Red Sea, all the plagues. The problem was they forgot who God was. They'd been in slavery for 400 years. The patriarchs were dead and God said, tell them I am. Because if they know who I am, they'll know what I can do. I don't think you get it. So I'm gonna help you. Let's say we're gonna start a basketball team and a guy walks in and he's tall and we don't know who he is, but he's tall. And we're like, hey man, you got any game? Can you play bro? And he's like, yeah, I play a bit. And we're like, hey, man, can you dribble? Yeah, I can dribble. Hey, man, can you shoot? Yeah, I can shoot. Hey, can you, can you jump? Yeah, I can jump. Can you dunk? Yeah, I can dunk. Wow, man. Meet us at the Y Saturday at noon. We're going to have a practice. We're going to find out if you really got game. We don't know him. We don't know whether he can play or not play. But we're going to find out what he can do, right? This tall individual that walked in. Now, let's say five minutes go by and the same guy walks back in the room. But this time somebody says, hey, that's LeBron James. Nobody says, hey, LeBron, can you dribble? Hey, LeBron, can you, can you jump? Hey, can you shoot? Hey, LeBron, can you dunk? Why? Because since we know who he is, we already know what he can do. So if you know who God is, you know what God can do. Hello? Amen. Some of y'all are still like, he said ass. <laughs> I can't wait till I get 400 emails this afternoon. And Ray's going to say, you just kept going with it. You just had to keep riding it up. She's going to be right. She's going to be right. Since we know who God is, we know what God can do. Somebody here who has forgotten who God is. If we know who God is, we know what God can do. When Jesus goes to the disciples in the midst of the storm, you know what he says? I'm going to meet you in the storm. 
You've got some troubles in your life. You've got some things you can't handle, but I am is on your side. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, I am is in the midst. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It could be financial, it could be family, it could be illness, it could be personal, it could be corporate. Whatever you're facing, God says, I am on your side. Don't worry about what I can do. Just know that I am is with you. And then in verse 27, be of good cheer. It is I, do not be afraid. And Peter, he's impulsive. He's not taking his Ritalin medicine. He's ADD. He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to walk on the water. You know, the other disciples on the boat are like, hey, watch this. Here he goes again. And there's probably one on the boat said, oh, come on, Peter. You don't know if that's really Jesus. Don't go out there. But Peter went out there by himself. And Peter knew what it was like to walk on water, to do what everyone else thought he couldn't do because he was willing to get out of the boat. So principle three, you will not do anything great for God if you don't get out of the boat. Somebody say, hello. hello. Come on. This is true. There's a woman walking down the street. She's walking down the street and all of a sudden she hears this voice out of nowhere, stop. She stops and, and a piece of metal falls from the sky like satellite debris and almost could have killed her. But because she heard the voice stop, she's saved. She looks around to find the person who saved her life and she sees no one. A few days go by and, 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 and she's about to cross the street and she hears the voice again, stop. And she stops and a car zooms out of control and almost hits her. But because she stopped, it saves her life. And so this time she's looking around. She can't find the voice. And she says, says who, who is this voice? And all of a sudden a voice from heaven says, I'm your guardian angel. I'm here to protect you from harm. But instead of being grateful, the woman was indignant. She said, there's just one thing I want to know. Where were you on my wedding day? <laughs> boo, boo, boo. <laughs> what do you expect from a donkey? My new spirit animal name. <laughs> no one would ever get married if we took risk taking out of life. It's true. All of us take risk. We would never do anything new if we didn't take risk. No new relationships would ever be formed. No new businesses would ever be started. No new homes would ever be built. Helen Keller said it best, life is either a daring adventure or nothing. Wayne Gretzky said, you miss 100% of the shots you never take. And Mark Twain, I love this, 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than the ones you did. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sail, explore, dream, discover. Even churches can know what it's like to walk on water. There's a unconventional Episcopalian priest named Wes Ziegler and he talks about, he's a pastor who, who drives motorcycles. And he talks about going into a motorcycle shop one day and he's drooling over this Honda 750 and wishing he could buy it. And the salesman comes up to him and he's talking about the bike and he's talking about the speed and the acceleration and the excitement. And imagine yourself in leather and the babes that will come with a bike like this. Because he doesn't know he's a pastor. Then he discovered that Wes is a pastor and then all of a sudden the sales pitch came, became this. Well, it's a very practical, very fuel efficient, very nice motorcycle to ride to work as you pray on your way. Wes 
<laughs> observe that, you know, lawnmower salesmen are, are surprised to find, are not surprised to find clergy persons looking at their motor merchandise, right? No one's ever surprised when the pastor goes in to buy a lawnmower, but they are surprised when a pastor goes in to buy a motorcycle. And what does this tell us about pastors and the church? And he says, lawnmowers are slow and safe and sane and practical and middle-class. Motorcycles are fast, dangerous, wild, and thrilling. Then he asks this question, I love this. Is being a Christian more like mowing a lawn or like riding a motorcycle? Is the Christian life safe and sound or dangerous and exciting? And he concludes, the common image of the church is pure lawnmower. Slow, deliberate, plodding. Our task is to take the church out on the open road, give it some gas, and see what the old baby will do. I don't know. I'm already afraid to ask about my spirit animal. I don't know if I want to ask if we're a lawnmower church or motorcycle church. Don't answer it. But boat people will try to stop you, right? You know there was someone in the boat that said to Peter, don't go out there. Because there's always boat people. You know boat talk. The scornful are in the boat. The sinners stand up in the boat. The ungodly folks stand in the boat. Folks who are always petty and backbiting and gossiping are boat people. Don't let the boat people turn you around. Don't let the boat people get in your way. We'll never be what God wants us individually or corporately until we make up our minds to get out of the boat. And those in the boat will pressure you to do wrong even though you know what is right. They will challenge the passion and vision that God has given you. The boat represents the flesh. The boat represents the survival of me. The only person who could have stopped Peter from going out there was Peter himself. What are you willing to do to live to the glory of God? And who are you willing to leave behind in the boat in order to do it? The Bible says Peter went down and walked on the water. He knew what that felt like. Imagine that. You have to be willing sometimes to walk alone if you're going to do great things for God. You never see eagles in a chicken yard, do you? You don't see an eagle down there clucking and, and plucking and doing all that stuff. Eagles soar. There once was a very cautious man who never laughed or played. He never risked. He never tried. He never sang or prayed. And when he one day passed away, his insurance was denied. For since he had never lived, they claimed he never died. If we end our lives having taken no risk, I would venture to say we have not lived the life that God intended for us. A life of faith is a life of risk. We should expect great things from God, and we should attempt great things for God. Somebody say amen. I got to coach you here. Come on. You call me a donkey, I can get an amen. Come on. Amen. <laughs> donkey. Oh, Renee's going to have fun with that today. <laughs> Theodore Roosevelt read a book by a New York paperman named Jacob Reeses called How the Other Half Lives. It described the slums of the city with all its vices and crime. Theodore Roosevelt went at once to the newspaper. Look that up, millennials. It's this thing we used to read. But Reese was not in. Roosevelt left his card and said, have read your book and have come to help. That's our response when we read scripture. We've read your book, God, and we've come to help. We've come to change the world. 
I want us to tell you a personal story about risk-taking because I think it actually applies to all of us generationally when you look at your life. When you look at my family history, and one of the cool things that my dad recently gave me is a family Bible. It's this big. I'm actually getting it re, redone and, and, and the binding fixed on it. But it's a Roberts family Bible. It's pretty amazing to go through those names and look at those lives and to think about what they did. And it's, it's actually amazing that I'm even standing here today, honestly, before you as a pastor. Because on both sides of my family, nothing, nothing but coal miners. Both my grandfathers were coal miners. Their fathers were coal miners. Their great, great grandfathers were coal miners. How long do you think I'd last in a coal mine? <laughs> About 30 seconds. That's 30 seconds too long. But don't let your heredity stop your destiny. Don't let what was passed down to you keep you down. Break out of a limited mindset. God has placed greatness within you. Your destiny is often calling out. It's time to start living large. And you can start throwing out larger nets and having a bigger vision and believing that you're able, like Peter, to walk on the water and God will amaze you with his goodness. I believe that. And this is what my father had to do. My father was raised in a limited environment. I never met my grandfather, Roberts. He died in a coal mining accident. My dad's parents were coal miners. My dad's dad, my, my dad's dad, this is fascinating to me. My grandfather, Roberts, gave my dad a job in the summer in the mine. Now, my grandfather, Roberts, was the foreman of the mine. He could have given my dad any job he wanted. And some of the jobs in the mine, and this is in the 1950s, paid 10 bucks an hour. That was a lot of money in 1950. And so my dad gets a summer job. Now, remember, the mines in the 1950s are segregated, black side, white side. So my dad gets a job in the mine from his old man. Guess what job it was? Not the $10 an hour job. No, 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 no. My dad became the first ever white janitor of the black side of the mine. And my dad said those black guys teased the hell out of him. We got us a white janitor. Look out. And my dad hated it. But why did my dad get that job from his old man? Because my grandfather Roberts didn't want my dad to work in the mines. He wanted him to go to school. And because my dad got a football scholarship to play football with Roger Staubach, he did that to get an education and not work three miles underground the rest of his life. And I was thinking about that because my dad raised me with that sort of mindset to take some risks, to get out of the boat, to go get an education, to make something of yourself and not be limited by family history. I got a degree in psychology. I'll never forget an experiment I saw in psychology and it actually applies. Are you still with me? Say amen. amen. It was done with four monkeys. They placed four monkeys in a room with a large pole in the center. And the top of the pole was a bunch of bananas. And the first monkey hurried up the pole. He was so excited to get a banana. But just when he was about to get that banana, they dumped a bucket of cold water on him. And so he scurried down the pole as fast as he could. He didn't want to have anything to do with those bananas anymore. A few minutes later, the second monkey went up. He wanted to get a banana. Same thing happened, bucket of cold water. He turned around and ran back. Over the next hour, the other two monkeys went up, but once again, they were doused with water and they came running back down. 
Day after day went by. Even though those monkeys love bananas, they wouldn't dare go up that pole. At that point, the researchers removed one monkey and they brought a new monkey in. And the new monkey started going up the pole because he saw the bananas. But you know what happened? The other three monkeys grabbed him and pulled him down. He tried again and again. They kept grabbing him and pulling him down. They wouldn't let him. Finally, he gave up, quit trying. The researchers brought in another monkey, removed an original, same thing. When he went up there, the three monkeys grabbed him. Eventually, the room was filled with dozens of monkeys. None of them had original. None of them had felt the dousing of the water, but not one of them would go up the pole. They didn't know why. They just knew they couldn't have those bananas. Sometimes, we're like those monkeys. We don't know why we can't do something great. We can't accomplish a dream. We can't break free of an addiction. All we know is nobody in our family's ever done it. Now they're pulling us down, telling us how we can't be successful, throwing cold water on our passion. And generation after generation is being limited, pulled down because of wrong thinking. So my message today is very simple. Somebody may have told you, you can't do it. You can't walk on water. Nobody in your family did it. Your daddy didn't do it. Your granddaddy didn't do it. Your great-granddaddy didn't do it. That's okay. This is a new day. And I'm so thankful I live with a father and mother who breathed hope into me and said, you can do whatever God wants you to do. And that's why I'm here today. Maybe you regret that, but I don't. Friends, the truth is, God says to you, you're a difference maker. God doesn't make junk. So rise up and go get what belongs to you. Quit letting people pull you down. Your friends, your relatives, your coworkers, they may mean well, but God didn't put the dream in them. God put the dream in you. So don't let them talk you out of it. Don't let them pull you down when you're going for your banana. Don't settle where you are because everybody else is stuck. Go get your bananas and get me one while you're there. But you've got to encourage yourself. He went out of the boat and did something great to the glory of God, but he took his eyes off of what God was doing and Peter began focusing on his circumstances and then he cries out, Lord, save me. The Lord save me in the original language is an extreme passive voice. It implies that he had tried to save himself but could not. Peter was a fisherman. Tradition says his father was a fisherman. Nobody grows up in a house full of fishermen on big boats, ragging nets, working around the water, and you don't know how to swim. Peter knew every stroke. He knew the breaststroke. He knew freestyle. He knew the backstroke. He did not know the Lord save me stroke. So he cried out. And this reveals the fourth principle. In a storm, God will reveal to us that we're not all we think we are. I'm tempted to have you turn to your neighbor and say, you're not all you think you are, <laughs> but don't do that. Some of y'all just went ahead and did it. I didn't say to do it. Pastor said to do it. You know what God will do in the storm? God will reveal that what you thought was your greatest strength is really an anchor that will cause you to sink. I can do it on my own, God. I got enough talent. Mm. <laughs> I used to think that ministry is just about talent. Not true. God will show you you're not all you thought you were. You know, we do have a tendency to think we're better than we are. Don't you? Not you. I'm talking to the person sitting next to you, okay? 
We have the tendency to think more highly of ourselves because we've achieved some level of proficiency in some particular subject. So Peter cried out, Lord, I tried to save myself. I find myself, this is probably what Peter said, right? Lord, I find myself unable to handle the currents and waves that are coming at me right now. So I realize I need, Lord, someone that has more strength to be my lifeguard and help me. No, that's not what Peter said. He didn't have time for that dialogue. It was this, I'm sinking, Lord, blub, blub, save me. The storm will put you in position where you stop taking yourself so seriously and you stop taking God so lightly and you cry out for help. And when you cry out for help, that's when you get it. When you surrender, that's when, <laughs> that's when salvation comes and life has its storms. The other 11 disciples took shelter in the boat. Only Peter believed, only Peter believed it's better to brave the storm with Jesus out on the water than to stay in the boat without him. Author and speaker Palmer Chinchin tells of the excursion rafting the Zimbabwe River in Zimbabwe with his brothers. It's a scary undertaking. The river's rapids are huge, fed by the rushing waters of Victoria Falls the largest waterfall in the world. As the men prepared to set off in the rapids, their, rep, their river guide gave them some last-minute instructions that were a bit disconcerting. He began with these words, when the raft flips. <laughs> he didn't say if the raft flips. It is during the excursion when the raft flips. This is like life. It is not if your raft's going to flip. It is when your raft's going to flip. Hello? Oh, I know you think my raft is pretty and it's safe and it'll keep me dry. Yeah, I've, I've seen that before. You live long enough, your raft's going to get flipped. Principle five, God will save us in the midst of our storms. Verse 31, immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, you have little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those who were in the boat came and look at what happens. They worshiped him. They didn't praise him. They didn't admire Jesus. They worshiped him. And they said, truly, you are the son of God. Jesus was saying, all you needed a little faith and you didn't even keep that much. Why did you doubt? You had already started. The hardest thing was to get out of the boat. You'd already gotten out of the boat. You were walking on water. Why did you doubt? But this is true, right? Because see, some of you, because sometimes you can't feel God's presence, right? Because your emotions are lying to you. See, the God is always present. What is lacking is our awareness. And some of you doubt God's love for you and you doubt God's care for you and you doubt that God's looking out for you and you doubt that God has your best interest at heart and you doubt that God knows what he's doing and that's why you're always trying to help God out. Let me handle it, God. I got the raft. You see, you say, Lord, I told you that I needed somebody, but you haven't provided, so let me just go out and get somebody myself. And Mr. Right becomes Mr. Right now. And he challenged Peter. Jesus challenged Peter to know who he is. Jesus saved him. Verse 32, I love this. The wind didn't stop until after they got in the boat. If you notice, that's what it says. And you know what? Part of our problem is when we look at our lives, we want God to stop the storm and then save us. 
Because we think storm stoppage is a requirement for God to move. God doesn't have to do anything to do what he's going to do. How'd they get back in the boat? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. And I don't really care. Because the same God who gives you directions that lead you into the storm is the same God who's going to meet you in the storm. He's the same God who will deliver you out of the storm. It's the same God who will walk with you through the storm. God doesn't have to stop the storm. He can come in the midst of the storm and walk with you right on through the storm. And this is where you get excited as a church and go, yeah. Amen. Those in the boat worshiped him. It's interesting, Jesus never said to worship him, but they did. Truly, you are the son of God. See, they forgot who God was. They, they forgot who God is and what God could do. We don't see God like we need to see him until we go through some storms. When you go through the storms of life, God gives you a picture of who he is that you've never had before. See, if I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that God could solve them. Friends, people don't have the final say in your life. God does. And God says to you, I, I, I want you to walk on the water. I want you to take some risk. I want you to have an abundant life. I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to live in faith. Or you can sit in the boat. Choice is up to you. Let's pray. God of grace, we give thanks for this time to come together and look at this wonderful story about Peter walking on the water. God, give us that sort of faith. The faith of Peter, that unshakable faith in the midst of the storm. Help us, Lord, to know your presence, to know that you are the great I am. And if we know who you are, we know what you can do, God. And God, you can help us to walk on water. You can help us to get out of our boats. Some of us are stuck in a lot of different boats in life, and we're afraid. And all we look at is the wind and the waves and the circumstances, and we don't look at you. So God, help us to see you and to see what you can do through us and in us. Help us, God, to truly see when you call us to come out of that boat and to walk on that water. I give thanks, Lord, because I do believe that our church is definitely not a lawnmower church, but a motorcycle church. And we're willing to take some risks to reach people. And we're willing to, to say to people, you know, God loves you and God cares for you and God has a plan for your life. Even if people don't believe us, even if they think we're silly or ridicule us, I'm so grateful that people spoke into my heart and my life and said, you can do whatever God calls you to be. And so I echo that message to this congregation, Lord, online and here that we can do it through your strength. And let's recognize that just because we're in a storm doesn't mean that's not where you want us to be. It's not always disobedience. Sometimes you put us there to get our attention, to help us see you in ways that we never look for you when the seas are calm. So God, give us the strength and the wisdom and the faith and not the fear. Fear leads to sinking, faith leads to walking. Give us the faith that Jesus had and gave to Peter so that we, like Peter, can be people who walk on the water. And we pray this in Christ's name, the one who taught us, as we say now together, our Father.
who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Grace Presbyterian Church. We hope and we trust that this message was a blessing and gave you much encouragement as you face today. At Grace Presbyterian Church, we are a church family that welcomes everyone who welcomes everyone. And we would love to welcome you. So please join us either online or in person. You'll find a community that loves God and loves each other. And we are blessed by other people joining us. So please come and join us at Grace Presbyterian Church.